This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. Now, few people would disagree that New York City politics are complicated. Just remembering the names of the borough presidents alone can be a task. Never mind distinguishing how what they do is different from what the city councilors do. Not to mention all those deputy mayors. If you're a political junkie, though, New York just might be the city for you. And few New Yorkers are without some kind of an opinion about how the city's being run. This week on Fordham Conversations, we are delving into city politics with New York City expert and Fordham University political scientist Bruce Burke. His new book on the subject, New York City Politics, Governing Gotham, is coming out this winter from Rutgers University Press. Before we talk to Bruce Berg, though, we wanted to get an idea of what the always chatty man on the street thought about city politics. We sent WFUV's Mary Wilson down to one of the city's hubs, Grand Central Terminal, to find out. She started out with a little word association. What do people think of when they think of New York City politics? Uh, security? Blah. <laughs> <laughs> Why blah? Because uh, they haven't really done much for the city. New York City politics? For the most part, very, very positive. Can't think of a good word, but a positive feeling. I think pretty organized as far as politics go. It seems like for a big city, it seems a lot more organized and focused than other places. I lived in D.C. for three years, and it's definitely a lot smoother running than things are there. Entertaining. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, because there's always some dust up or some interesting uh, challenge that is being undertaken and I think that the people that are involved in New York City politics are pretty smart and they all have their point of view and so it's entertaining. Where do you see room for improvement? Uh, Education, healthcare, those are two very big problems. I grew up uh, going to public schools, I didn't really learn much through the public school system and healthcare... uh, well, uh, put it this way, uh, I haven't been working for the past 18 months. I didn't qualify for Healthy NY, so I had to go out of pocket to get health care. And it's very expensive. Does the real estate industry own the city? It probably is a major player in almost everything. Um, far more so than unions, which are, um, you know, are waning. You know, I think probably the gentrification and, you know, the taking over the, you know, formerly affordable areas, the artsy areas, to build luxury condos. So those are probably the two things that really, I think, come to my mind when I think of the issues in the city. What makes New York City politics different from politics in other cities? I think we're a lot less corrupt. I mean, if you look at huge swaths of New Jersey, I mean, there is a scandal of corruption a week in New Jersey. Our state politics are screwy as all hell, and hopefully Spitzer will do something about that. But by and large, I think it probably runs more reasonably than a lot of city governments. Well, I mean, I think the makeup of the city itself. I mean, you got people from all over the world, you know, all different classes, so that brings a pretty heterogeneous mix to the table, and you get lots of different viewpoints, you know, people wanting different things, so, you know, the whole thing basically comes together as being very, 
don't know, almost Catholic universal in scope in a way as far as beliefs and you know, what people want to see change and things like that. I think they're doing a very good job. For a more nuanced view of city politics, I spoke last week with Bruce Berg. Berg's an associate professor, and he is the chair of Fordham's Department of Political Science. He joined me in our studios to talk about what makes New York politics so special. Bruce Berg, welcome. Thank you. Now tell me, I'll just start from the very beginning, why did you write a book about New York City politics? My background is in urban politics and public policy, and uh, I think at one point in a New York City politics class back in the early 1990s, I was bemoaning the fact to my class that there were no good books on New York City politics, and somebody in the back of the class said, well, why don't you write one? And uh, slowly but surely, I began to piece together uh, what, uh, what my thoughts were on New York City politics and how that might fit into, into a manuscript. So what did you find in terms of how New York's representative of cities as a whole, and how did you find things were different? I think in some ways, New York City is a typical large American metropolis. It's influenced by the same types of forces that other cities uh, are affected by. I suspect uh, that the way these forces have an impact on New York City and the nature of the impact makes New York City somewhat unique in the array of American uh, urban, urban areas. Could you talk a little bit more about that? How is it unique? Sure. Um, let's take a look at racial and ethnic diversity. Uh, the vast majority of American cities that, ha- that are diverse are biracial or bi-ethnic. Uh, New York City is, uh, you know, to quote David Dinkins, the beautiful mosaic, New York City is, is multiracial, multi-ethnic. And the degree of diversity certainly surpasses any other city in the United States and, and probably rivals the diversity of any, of any global city as well. Tell me what the major forces are that you see at work in New York. The literature in urban politics in the last uh, 30 years has focused almost exclusively on the role that economic development plays in an urban political system and the need of those who govern urban political systems to raise revenue through economic growth, being the most politically palatable way to to raise revenue. And I don't discount that as a force. But I would argue as well, and I think the literature and the the writing on urban politics in the past 30 years has somewhat neglected this, that there are two other forces at work here. One is the city and New York City's position in the intergovernmental system, uh, simply stated that the, the federal government and the state government have a significant impact on what the city does and what it can do, and that this seriously constrains the activities of New York City's uh, political elites. So that's one. And then a second, as just mentioned, is the um, racial and ethnic diversity in the city. It affects the types of demands that uh, citizens make on the urban political system. It uh, influences the, the types of policies that's, that New York City has to uh, implement in order to satisfy uh, multiple uh, constituencies. So I would my, my manuscript essentially argues that there are three forces that affect 
New York, New York City politics, the governance of New York City, the need to promote economic development, the state and federal impacts on the city, and increasing racial and ethnic diversity. So if you were, if I were running for mayor, say, um, I imagine that I would probably sit down with my advisors and I'd make a list of the major stakeholders in New York City politics. Who would those stakeholders be? What do they want and how do they act? Certainly, from the, coming from the economic development point of view, uh, one set of stakeholders are developers, those with large amounts of capital who are going to invest in your city. They're going to create jobs uh, and allow you to go before the electorate, as mayors have since Ed Koch, saying, under my watch, so many jobs uh, have been created. And, listen, and obviously, they're, they're developers of all types. Obviously, they're not only the Donald Trumps and the, and the Bruce Ratners, but they're the developers in the South Bronx and in, in the outer boroughs who are engaging in their own type of economic development as well. So that's certainly one set of stakeholders. Second and third set of stakeholders would be those officials at the state and federal levels who you're going to need to bring in as part of your coalition. You're going to need financial assistance from them. You're going to need regulatory assistance from them in order to govern the city in a way in which you, you want to govern. New York City has a large uh, union uh, constituency, both private sector unions that are very interested in, in construction and, and trade unions. You've got a large uh, municipal Union sector, from the you know Policemen Benevolence Association to the Uniform Firefighters to groups like the Service Workers 1199, which represent uh, a broad array of of healthcare workers and and bureaucrats in the city government. Uh, and uh, let's not, not only do these people represent themselves as, as bureaucrats or as members of private sector unions, but increasingly as the city has become more racially and ethnically diverse, these same groups have become representative of some racial and ethnic groups or of minorities in general. So certainly that's one major sector. And then finally, uh, given the racial and ethnic makeup of the city, you need to be aware that in terms of voting blocks, in terms of groups of citizens who make demands on the, on the political system, uh, you're going to need to address uh, different ethnic and racial constituencies. And New York City has a legacy since immigration in the 19th century of uh, building electoral coalitions, at least in part, uh, by putting together various racial and ethnic groups that are going to back you in an in, in election. It seems like the sort of interethnic, interracial coalition building thing is something that New York politicians have to do a lot. Is it more than in other cities? I don't think it's, it's, it's more than in other cities, but it's different than in other cities because there is no one group that will assure you of winning the election. You can appeal, whereas in a biracial city or in a bi-ethnic city, you may be able to appeal to one group, and that will carry your election but in a city that is multiracial, multiethnic, you need a variety of groups. And this makes, the, obviously, the task for, for the, the, the individual running for mayor uh, all the more difficult, not only in terms of building the coalition, uh, but also in terms of, of governing with that coalition once you win the election. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. 
I'm Nora Flaherty. Well, shuffle through the city on a 4th of July At a 5 o'clock waiting to blow Breaking like a rocker who was making his way To the cities of Mexico Living in a apartment out on Avenue Way At a tall on a corner of town Had myself a lover who was finer than gold But I've been broken, I've been busted up since Love don't play Today on the show, we are talking about New York City politics with my guest, Bruce Berg. Berg's an associate professor and the chair of political science at Fordham, and he is the author of the forthcoming book, New York City Politics, Governing Gotham. As I prepared for our interview, I was surprised to learn that New York City's political system has changed fairly dramatically, fairly recently. I asked him to tell me about this change. One of the fascinating aspects of New York City government in 2007 is that we're looking at, relatively speaking, a very young political system. In 1989, New York City received the new charter, and and the charter basically changed the entire structure of New York City government. Prior to 1989, there was a, a body called the Board of Estimate, made up of the mayor, the controller, the city council president, and the five borough presidents. And this body really had major policymaking power over the city. The 89 Charter Revision abolished the Board of Estimate. It was due to a a federal suit that argued that the Board of Estimate didn't uh, constitutionally represent the citizens of New York. And as a result, the Board of Estimate was abolished, and the powers of the board were divided between the mayor and the city council. Prior to 1989, the city council had been a rather weak representative body. But as a result of the abolition of the board, the city council now becomes, if not a a major partner in city government, at the very least a, sil- a, a junior partner in city government, whereas before it was probably a silent partner. There's a, there's a great uh, quote by Henry Stern, who was commissioner of parks during the Koch administration and um, the Giuliani administration, who was a city councilman back in the 1970s. People say the city council is a rubber stamp. It's not because, at the very least, a rubber stamp leaves an impression. And so when the Board of Estimate was abolished and the city council was given a considerable amount of their power, it becomes a much more wide-open political system. And again, so then this, is, this has only been in place since 1989. So we're looking at a political system that is um, you know, not even two decades old. So how's it working out? <laughs> um, well, I, I think you could probably say it's, it's still in the shakedown cruise uh, that uh, we've gone through two and a half, three mayors, uh, Dinkins, Giuliani, and, and much of Bloomberg. The city council is still kind of feeling its way. I think the mayors are obviously still figuring out how it is they can move the city council in a, in a way that uh, they, they want to move them. To answer your question, I think it's, it's working fairly well, given that it's a new political system. And uh, what's surprising to see is just how much bipartisan uh, cooperation there has been. I'm sure I'm not the first person to draw this analogy, and I don't know a tremendous about about New York politics at all. But whenever I read the paper and I see sort of all the interest groups, the various community boards, um, various city councilors representing different areas, um, the borough presidents all seeming to have different interests, I sort of feel like the first time that I got off at the Union Square subway during rush hour and I couldn't get anywhere and I ended up sort of just 
for the first couple minutes that I was there, just sort of standing there protecting myself. Political scientist once was comparing Chicago to New York City, and he said Chicago is well run but poorly governed, whereas New York is well governed but poorly run. Uh, New York City has in place, and I think the 1989 Charter of Vision certainly furthered this, a number of processes that allow a great deal of involvement by, as you mentioned, community boards, interest groups, in the policymaking process. What this does at times is slow down the process, but it gives many more individuals a chance to participate than either was previously the case in the city or uh, that may take place in other cities. And, I mean, let's give you an example. Um, Atlantic Yards, uh, Forest City Ratner is building this large complex adjacent to downtown Brooklyn with a new arena for the New Jersey Nets, who will then move to Brooklyn, a large office complex. This was a project that, because the state was heavily involved, a lot of the local procedures really weren't used. The state simply came in and said, we approve of it, let's get it done. But because there were local groups present and because there's this tradition in the city of inclusion and participation, the the developer, Forest City Ratner, began negotiating with local community groups and they put together a community benefits agreement where he made promises, this is what I'm going to do for the community. And even after the community benefits agreement was promulgated, the city council got involved, and they made additional demands. And uh, the developer said, you know, you know, okay, I'll compromise there. So um, there's a tradition in New York City of inclusion and of participation that may not exist in, in, in all other American political systems. It does slow things down. At times, it does make public policymaking look, like, look chaotic. But, uh, you know, in the end, many more people feel included. Sometimes all of this breaks down. And, I, you know, and Atlantic Yards might be, a, you know, the fact that the state came in and controlled much of what took place in Atlantic Yards. A lot of people were very, were very bent out of shape. I was sleeping gently, napping when I heard the phone. Who is on the other end talking? Am I even home? Did you see what she did to him? Did you hear what they said? Just a New York conversation rattling in my head. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. This morning at 7.30 on WFUV, it's Cityscape. On this week's show, a panel discussion about allergies. Cityscape with George Bodarkey, ahead right after Fordham Conversations. We are talking this morning on Fordham Conversations about New York City politics. My guest is Bruce Berg. Berg's an associate professor and the chair of Fordham's political science department. And his book, New York City Politics, Governing Gotham, will be out this winter from Rutgers University Press. Let's hear the rest of that conversation. One section of your book is called The Urban Crisis, Forgotten But Not Gone. Um, I like the turn of phrase, but also it's a very good point. We don't hear that much about that in conversation about city government anymore. Tell me about the urban crisis. Tell me what happened and tell me what's going on now in place of the kind of legislation that would have been passed in the 70s. Well, I think what I what I was trying to say in the discussion of the urban crisis was that 
at one point in the not-so-distant past of the American political system, urban areas were the flashpoint of public policy. And the, the best minds were attempting to solve the various poverty and infrastructure and education problems of urban areas. And what happened over time was that lots of policies were implemented, a few succeeded, some failed, some may have just been good ideas that were poorly funded, but the urban environment is complex and, you know, public policies don't always solve all the problems. The public has a short attention span and people's attention went elsewhere. And so what we have today are, in many ways, the same kinds of problems that existed 40 years ago. Urban areas are still areas of high poverty, areas of poor education, areas with crumbling infrastructure, but the, the national attention is now elsewhere. So how does that affect the way that New York City is being governed? Well, it means that, that local governments, New York City, uh, other large cities, are much more on their own. Uh, in solving their problems. Certainly as an indicator of the declining kind of crisis perspective, uh, federal aid to cities over the last 20 years has declined significantly. So what is New York doing to fix this? I think New York City in some ways is probably fortunate in that it has, while other cities, especially in the Northeast and Midwest, have suffered, they've never really recovered from the decline in federal funding and the loss of manufacturing jobs that occurred in the 60s and 70s. New York City has been fortunate in some ways to have the financial services industries here. So in some sense, New York City has revenue that other cities don't necessarily have. So New York City has been able on, on its own to do uh, much more with the homeless population than other cities have done, although granted New York City's homeless problem is much larger than most of the cities. New York City obviously is engaging in a certain amount of school reform with stepped-up uh, funding from the state. We won't know for a while whether the city's been successful, but certainly New York City relative to other cities has been somewhat more successful in promoting economic growth, in raising revenue, and as a result, they have been able to attempt somewhat more. But again, the, the crisis remains. I mean, the, the, at currently, I think the, the, the income distribution in New York City between the wealthy and the poor is greater than it's ever been. So um, there may be limits to what public policy can do. Well, you mentioned raising revenue and economic growth, and that calls to mind something else that you talked about, um, which is the idea of gentrification as growth in New York City. And that's been a big issue. How does that play into the larger political picture in the city? Obviously, gentrification at times is a result of economic growth and development. The plus side of gentrification is that you, that middle class, upper middle class individuals move into the city, uh, they demand fewer services, uh, and they pay more in taxes. And so as far as the city's revenue coffers are concerned, gentrification is certainly uh, plus. On the other hand, gentrification displaces large numbers of indigenous citizens. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to live? Um, I mean, what's happening in Harlem at the moment uh, is, is fascinating, if not tragic. Uh, Harlem is gentrifying. Harlem has been the home 
of a, a fairly stable working class for decades. Uh, but uh, this, this stable working class is finding themselves slowly but surely priced out of their own homes, homes that have probably been occupied by them and their families for generations. And so on the one hand, gentrification produces net revenue for the city. On the other hand, it creates additional problems in displacing individuals, and it's kind of, it creates its own housing crisis. If I'm just a normal New Yorker, which I am, in fact. Me too. <laughs> um, how do I experience New York City politics on a daily basis? How does that touch my life? Hmm. Um, well, I think w- walking down the street, you you probably see this is a city that is uh, going through waves of economic growth. You can probably see economic growth taking place if you obviously across the street from uh, from Fordham, we've got this new mall being built where Sears uh, once was. Uh, so. Uh, you could cert- we could certainly, you know, that, that's certainly an, an aspect of economic growth, and I suspect that the folks building that mall are getting tax incentives from the city to do, to do what they're doing. So it's, you know, it's your tax dollars at work. Uh, certainly inf- it, every New Yorker is affected daily by issues of infrastructure, uh, subways, trains, buses, roads. This is, this is the urban political system at work. Uh, so when 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 you're when you're tied up in traffic or when the subway's not running, uh, this this is this is the political system at work or not at work, depending on depending on your perspective. Uh, so you know I think you know one can help uh, simply by looking around or by or by simply by working in the city, uh, parks, schools. Uh, all of this, you know, is, is a reflection of the impact that the urban political system has on us on a daily basis. I will ask you one more question, and I'll close with this. What do you envision for New York City's future? Well, I think, you know, you, you asked about gentrification. I think, uh, I, and it may be a fear, I'm not sure, partly fear, partly hope. I certainly see gentrification taking over Manhattan. Uh, obviously, the Lower East Side has have obviously already been gentrified. Harlem is in the process of being gentrified. Uh, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Fort Greene, going through the same gentrification. We've even heard stories about uh, the, the South Bronx uh, beginning uh, the beginning stages of gentrification. Um, and, and and you know, in European cities, in many European cities, the wealthy live on the interior in the center of the city and the poor have been pushed to the outskirts in many american cities for a long time it was the exact opposite and it seems like uh american cities especially new york are beginning to adopt the european model uh, as wealthy realize it may be better to be located close to the center than on the periphery uh if this is the trend for new york and if this is a trend that is followed in other cities, we're going to see a very significant economic and social upheaval as the poor and working class get pushed out. So uh, it's something that uh, we're watching take place, uh, almost like in some cases like watching a train wreck, uh, but you know, really not sure what to do uh, to try and kind of uh, stem this economic tide that appears to be taking place.
Well, Bruce Berg is an associate professor and the chair of Fordham's political science department. His book, which is coming out this winter from Rutgers University Press, is New York City Politics Governing Gotham. Bruce Berg, thanks so much. You're welcome. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you missed part of the show today, or if you would like to hear it again, there are a couple ways to go. It's available as a podcast at WFUV.org, and it's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. If you have any comments or questions about the show, you can email us. Our address is FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend. Walking down Madison, I swear I never had a gun. No one ever shot no one, I was only having fun. Walking down Madison, swear I never had a gun. I was philosophizing some, checking out the bugs. See, you give them nickels, your pennies and dimes, but you can't give them up in these mercenary times. Oh, no. And you feel real guilty by the coat on your back. Shots in the penthouse to the rats in the basement. It's not that far to the back. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.